0: Thanks for joining us and supporting Vicky Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness Premium Member. Go to www.vickiedoefitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vickiedoefitness.com forward slash join and register for a six dollar monthly subscription. And remember. Keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about the trauma-informed care approach and what it means in caring for our children and youth. According to the Adverse Childhood Experiences, ACE ACE study exposure to abuse neglect discrimination and violence increases a person's lifelong potential for serious health and mental problems and engaging in health risk behaviors most especially in our youth joining us is Rodica cruz a trainer and consultant from the national resource center for youth services at the University of Oklahoma. Radhika will talk about our youth and how the trauma-informed approach can be beneficial in the healing of our youth. Rodica is a podcaster as well. To learn more about and to hear from Radhika Cruz, subscribe to her podcast show, Lead, Love, Thrive. All this and more on It's All About Health, and fitness.
1: Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicky Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now here's your host, Vicky Doe and D Banks Bright.
0: I'm Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D Banks, Bright. Hi, Vicky. How are you? I am fine. And we
2: are once again, we were looking at this weather. It and looks it's like Armageddon. It looks like Independence Day. Doesn't Remember when it? That, <laughs> that spaceship landed over the thing? There's, There's this true. big dark thing that's that's landed over our sky. Yes, it's just it's weird. It's just sitting there. It's very weird. Yeah. we of the aliens up there? I don't know. It's something. <laughs>
0: some alien <laughs> snow about to
2: about so, to hit us First of all we got some alien wind out there it's oh, like yes. it's like wizard of oz out there very very
0: something It's very eerie very eerie high mm-hmm, wind mm-hmm. and I was rushing from Cleveland and your car to was get was here sh- to was and Yeah and I got a SUV so yeah. it was like yeah this this wind is pretty something yeah. shimmering and shaking So yeah they have a high winds alert out so mm. but we got blown on into the hot seat today Well that's today. good I'm glad it's you you're here, <laughs> Mickey Doe, don't you know? Hey, we are here, Dr. We D. We are here. Yes, and today we talk about trauma-informed care approach, what it means, and how it can be beneficial for dealing and caring for our children and youth. A growing body of research shows that experiencing traumatic events increases an individual's risk of long-term physical and behavioral health issues. According to the Adverse Childhood Experiences, which is the ACE study, exposure to abuse, neglect, discrimination, violence, and other adverse experiences increases a person's lifelong potential for serious health problems and engaging in health risk behaviors, and most especially in our youth. But there are strategies and solutions being taken to help as protective factors, such as having supportive relationships, having trauma-specific physical and behavior health treatments and systems available and in place to help patients, children, and youth begin the healing process. And so today we have joining us Radhika Cruz, a trainer and consultant from the National Resource Center for Youth Services at the University of Oklahoma, where she helps residential child and youth care professionals become more trauma-informed and trauma-responsive in their work with youth. Radhika will talk about our youth and how trauma affects their mental and and their physical well-being. She would explain the trauma-informed approach and what it means and how it is beneficial in the healing of our youth. Now, Radhika is a fellow podcaster, so she would talk about her platform and her podcast, Lead, Live, Thrive. We can't wait to hear from her later on in the show. That's right, Dee? fun, yeah. And so we want you guys, make sure you go to our resources page, www.vickidoughfitness.com forward slash resources, because there you will find products, services that will be helpful to you as you embrace a life of health and fitness. Now we have a variety of items on our resource list. We want you to check them out and to try. We got Reebok, Spank, Sunbasket, Medical Supply Depot, Eye Remedy, Warby Parker. We got uh, we got a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. On our resource page. And here's the deal though it's holiday season. This is a time for you to go. You know, most people ask, you know, well, how can we help you guys out? We got the holidays. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time you guys hear this show, go on our resources page. You mm-hmm. can get healthy gifts and they have tons of discounts. You know, they're constantly sending me discounts to share with you guys. So go on there. You can get discounts with the Rebot, with um, Sunday basket, all of those, you know, because they're trying to, you know, give you sales and discounts on their products. And this is the best time to try these products, you know, if you haven't already. And yes, go on our resources page, buy healthy gifts and services for yourself and your family. Exactly. And let's start off the new year, right? There's no excuses now, no excuses.
2: (laughs) But tonight, Set your scales back, 15 pounds. <laughs> Set your scales back, 15 pounds.
0: <laughs> you got to use some trickery to, to make it through.
2: No, we want everybody to eat sensibly <laughs> and healthy, but turning those scales back, 15 pounds, that might, might help, help psyche. <laughs> that might help just a little bit. You go yeah, we know you're going to eat. Not, we're not going to, you know, but everybody has to remember. If you fall off the wagon, just get right back up on there. Get right back yeah, up. Get, get right we back got on We got these there. things
0: on the resources page yeah. to get you in the mindset. Yeah. And yes, we want you to check out our resources page. And remember when you use any of our affiliate links on this page to buy the products and services, you are supporting us here at Vicky Doe Fitness. And as always,
2: thank you, thank you,
0: thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you for your support. D,
2: like we said, it is officially yes yeah, here. Holidays. I started watching. I started listening to Christmas music yesterday on Sirius. Okay, I, that just so shows you ready? How serious, I am. You ready? <laughs> I'm ready. We
0: gonna be cooking. Nice. You know, people call and say, "Are you cooking?" I'll be like, "Look, I always have the cook. <laughs> the famous spinach."
2: I don't know if I've ever had any. I keep saying, "Yeah, you I need to." Because every
0: every time you come over, either it's, it's uh, gone, gone. gone. Yeah.
2: It's gone. It's gone. I have not I, I don't think I have had your Well, I gotta make some
0: specifically for you. I don't
2: think uh, as many times as I've been over there and I know you cook it, it's gone by the time I get there. Yeah, I'm gonna make
0: the spinach stew yeah. for you. Yeah. and then you and Matt come down and yeah, we'll I have will. that. Yeah. Put, yeah. put your yeah. foot in it. I gotta put my foot in. So it's gonna be it's gonna be great. We Fine. we definitely have a lot of healthy stuff on our table. And no, I don't cook fifty dishes. <laughs> No, no, uh, I don't do fifty dishes. No, nope. me either. Mm-mm. No,
2: I don't do that either. No, because that's Mm-mm. where all
0: the calories. People yeah, don't exactly. realize.
2: Even if you're having
0: good, healthy food, if you're having a whole bunch of it, it's, it's still, still a lot of calories. Too much. You Add them up. It's too much, yeah. right? You know, give your body four hundred calories of lettuce is
2: four hundred calories. Of lettuce.
0: <laughs> 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 Even though, yes, calories are different. Calories
2: are different. That's you true. know the
0: quality and the quantity. Right. They are different. But here's the thing. We want to have that mindset where we're eating in moderation no matter what. No
2: matter what. Exactly. Right. And we're eating
0: good quality food. But yeah, that's me.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. So, how was your week? So, my week was really kind of bittersweet. Yes. Um, we had a memorial service this past Sunday for my former husband, mm-hmm. but also my professor of yes. art. yeah Professor Albright passed, transitioned October the 28th, mm-hmm. and his uh, children, our, my children, his children, our children, gave him a wonderful memorial. You were mm-hmm. there yes. at the Butler Institute of American Art. Extremely well done. You walked in, you had a glass of wine. They, I think they had a... Were 300 people there? Yes, they did. Uh, President uh, Tressel, Jim Tressel, who's the president of Youngstown State University, was former the football, formerly the football coach at Ohio State, gave a very nice Mm -hmm. tribute to him. There were a lot of other speakers who spoke his students, his children. My children got up and gave him all kinds of accolades about being a great dad, which he was. And also importantly, too, he impacted so many people in this community with his art. I mean, we were married for 25 years, and I. I was just amazed. Mm -hmm. A lot of that stuff, and the and the the students that came up to me, they said I had him in 1970, and he was the first he was first black professor of the black studies department. Yes, at YSU, he developed, he started the black studies department. Yes, did that I think for about 20 years, and they talked about how all the famous people that he brought in, Alex Haley, Maya Angelou, all these people Mm -hmm. to the uh, school, and then he after he finished that, he went back to the art department where he was always still painting, doing abstract expressionism. So it was a beautiful event. Mm. And then that evening, I gave a jazz soiree in his honor. Jeff Green and his group, Mm -hmm. a great musician in town, and his daughter, they sang all kinds of music. We had drinks, we had food, fellowship. People reminiscing about, you know, when they were with him, what they were doing, what year, whatever. And then the setting was so nice because another one of his mentees, Maple Turner,
0: Maple had an Turner. art
2: exhibit in yes, there, yes. and it was just fabulous, wasn't what, it? What, it? Oh It was wow. just fabulous. He had he has these large works, and the space was kind of like a loft. Yes, it was kind of like a loft. I would say six to seven thousand square feet. Of just loft. Mm-hmm. And it really reminded me a lot of Al's studio when we first got together. He had this big loft downtown Youngstown where all his art, African art, all his paintings and all that was just on one floor, mm-hmm. one design. So, you know, kudos to yes. the Bright and Branch kids. They have also started, a, they got this together fast. Mm-hmm. The Youngstown State will have endowment fund yes, in his great. honor. Yes, For a scholarship to go to a student in the art department. That's awesome. So, you know, Al is all about education and stuff. So I said, as when the day ended, I just said, rest in peace, Al Bright, job well done. Job well done. Job well done. And that's the way to do how they did the
0: memorial. Yeah. And it's all about celebrating his life. Exactly. I loved
2: it. Yeah, it was great. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, people shed tears and stuff, but I think everybody knew what a fun loving person he was. And, you know, in lots of our conversation, we talked a lot about death and life. And one thing he did not want was a sad funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, he used to say, I don't want anybody dropping snot on me in a casket. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he would always say, let's keep it moving. Let's keep, keep, it, keep moving. it moving. You know? and so, yes. so I think that's what everybody did.
0: Yes, and yeah. it was very nice and, and well received. It was a celebration. It was a
2: celebration. Yes. Yeah, so celebration. yeah. So kudos to Professor yeah, Albright kudos to prof- and you. You are a recipient of one of his works. Yes. So yeah. Uh, I got a couple of them. Yeah. You got a couple of them. Because every
0: time he would come, he would slip me something. Yeah. You know, and I would just go, wow. So
2: I tell everybody, my friends who you know were fortunate enough to get some Albright works, keep them. uh And my hope one day is that. One of the so. museums will have a huge retrospective yes, of his works. I think so. I'm sorry that it didn't happen during his lifetime, but I'm hoping that at some point in time we can pull from all the different venues where his art is and have a large, large retrospective of his art. So yes, yeah, that's my goal. Because
0: he's well, renowned all, all well renowned. all over the world.
2: All over the world. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: So what is going on this week? Everything, Vicky. <laughs> Every doggone thing. Look, you know, every time I get ready to do me a Caesar salad.
2: <laughs> what can goes. you eat? What can we eat? I mean, is it at, at, what can, paper. That's it. Or some you know, ice. And, roll, and, I said, and I said yesterday on Facebook, why don't they recall cakes and cookies? Right, right. They don't ever recall any cakes, donuts. You don't ever see them recalling that every time you get ready to get a salad together or what, they're always recalling alfalfa sprouts or some lettuce or something. something. So the CDC, just at Thanksgiving time, has issued an E. coli warning on romaine lettuce ahead of Thanksgiving. At least 28 people have been hospitalized after being infected by E. coli in Salinas, California, the growing region. The CDC warned consumers on Friday not to eat any romaine lettuce from Salinas, California, after at least 40 cases of E. coli infection nationwide were linked to contaminated projects from this area. In a statement detailing the E. coli outbreak, which has affected 16 states and left 28 people hospitalized, the CDC advised retailers to not even sell it, take it off the shelves. Okay. So no deaths have been reported. But five people have developed kidney failure called hemolytic uremic syndrome. Your Mm -hmm. honey sweet's familiar with that. Mm -hmm. The strain is the age-old strain of E. coli Mm. 0157H7 produces a toxin that can cause painful cramps, diarrhea, and vomiting. And roughly 5 to 10% of the people who fall sick develop this hemolytic uremic syndrome. The strain behind this year's outbreak is the same as in other outbreaks linked to romaine lettuce and leafy greens in the last two years. So on Thursday, the U.S. Department of Agriculture... Food Safety and Inspection issued a recall of more than 75,000 pounds of prepackaged salads from the New Jersey-based Mesa Bay as the lettuce is probably contaminated with E. coli. One of the things that I um, think about and have heard, mm-hmm. I mean, these are only, of course, you know, you need to wash your, your, your food anyway. anyway. Yeah. Uh-huh. But someone said, now this is just hearsay, okay. there are two things. First of all, why are these products contaminated with this E. coli? Well, one of the theories might be that the hygiene of some of the workers who harvest this in some of the areas may not be practicing the best hygiene. We know it can come from the stool and these, these, you know, they're out in the field and the hygiene practices are not the best. And so these products get contaminated, but also... I have heard, and this is certainly not don't call Vicky Doe Fitness and say, you know, like like Oprah Winfrey, have <laughs> us down in Texas on a lawsuit. But that there may be some small gaps in the inspection process with the Department of Agriculture. I think it's
0: probably the inspection. Um,
2: and so we know that, you know, all the agencies in, in Washington, there's been some cutback on resources. Some cutback. It's like two I, people. I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice For a here. whole par- well, department, well, one well, person. Well, and, and we know that there have been some, some lack of resources. And yes. so when you don't have appropriate people doing the inspections like they did 10 years ago, because I swear I don't remember this many recalls on No. Products. Romaine lettuce was just recalled maybe within the last year because I love romaine lettuce. Yes. And I remember they took it off the market and then they slowly started to bring it back on. I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. my favorite lettuce. So I just think it's multifactorial here. hmm
0: Yeah, I think so,
2: too. And um, I think the inspection, like you say, is probably the main thing. I think it's the inspection for a lot of things. A lot lot of things. For the
0: meat. Meat. You know. They don't have the
2: personnel mm -mm. to be able to do the job that they need to do to protect us. That's it. I'm just saying. Yes. I'm just saying. That's what I've heard. Yes. And so, yeah, a lot of people are
0: saying that the Reverend Lou Macklin put something up, and this is what he said. The Remain Empire has fallen. <laughs> Caesar is dead. <laughs> let us pray. <laughs> <laughs> He's hilarious. He is hilarious. He is and hilarious. He, he cracks me up. He, he says so let, let us pray. Let us pray. Pray. Let us pray. <laughs> He's hilarious. So that's it. So yeah, we always have to keep up yeah, on what's happening. Yeah. At least we got the CDC trying to be on. Yeah, they're on they're part. trying to
2: be as proactive, you know. And their cutbacks. I know for sure that there's been some cutbacks in CDC in mm-hmm. terms of personnel and resources and so forth. It's just and that that's a part of the government. Mm-hmm. So just all around, you know, allocation of funds just isn't there. I know. So it's sad.
0: It is, sad. especially <laughs> when
2: it comes to people's health.
0: That's the key. And when then comes people, to people's
2: and then people dying and deaths they're dying right yeah you know it's not like some other resource where you might not mm. you know i don't know what sell a car or maybe you can't look at the art wall, on the wall or the televisions or whatever this impacts people's lives yes. mothers fathers sisters brothers daughters mm-hmm. you know people dying people dying right mm-hmm. right our next, our
0: next is um yeah. yeah, this is this is this is a civil rights yeah. activist, Father George Clemens. Yeah, he dies at eighty-seven. He's a retired Chicago priest. Yeah, he died not too too many days ago. And so it was a write up uh, about him. He was in Chicago. And it says he was a complicated figure in Chicago's Catholic community, because he's African American, right? And so Father George Clemens died Monday at the age of 87. And St. Sabrina Pastor Michael, um, I think I'm going to say Flieger or Flegger confirmed that Clemens died at a hospital in Hammond, Indiana. And this is Joey Clemens, he said. And this is the first of fathers Clemens adopted sons. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. How, you know, what was so great about father George Clemens, his legacy was that he was given permission to adopt kids. Mm, I remember that. Yes. Mm -hmm. But one of the sons says, I lost a great father today. I lost a great man. Mm -hmm. So after suffering a stroke and surviving cardiac arrest this fall, his adopted son said that Father George Clemens decided, you know what? It is time to mm-hmm. go home. Mm-hmm. Father Clemens, his legacy stretches back decades, beginning with the fight for civil rights. He served as a pastor of Holy Angels Parish for many years and was an activist involved in the civil rights movement. Father Flegger said, He's the one that hid. This is significant. Bobby Rush, you know, of the black Panther, Mm -hmm. He hid him uh, when... Who's now in
2: the House of Representatives and representing Chicago.
0: And they were searching for him. Mm -hmm. So he hid Bobby Rush.
2: Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. That's mm -hmm. interesting. That's
0: interesting. Mm -hmm. So Father Clemmings was partially known for his fight to make sure that black Catholics had a place at the table, as well as he made black Catholics proud to be who they were. He adopted four sons of his own when they were teenagers in 1980, and he helped give homeless black children a home. And to this day, since then, there's been over 400,000 homeless children that have been adopted through that program. The program is called One Church, One Child. So there it is, wow, right? Steve. So, Clemens, he marched with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in Chicago, Alabama, Mississippi, and he was arrested. Clemens also, he was the first Catholic priest to become more than a spiritual father. He also was a legal father Mm. by adopting children, and he had to get permission Mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. So, kudos to him. His legacy is big. He embrace he was the first person to welcome barack obama i remember that too
2: Mm -hmm. yep he sure did
0: yes so remember that yeah he was 87 he you know suffered a stroke and you know had a heart attack and so yeah over time i guess you know it was was um, too much yeah. for
2: him. Yeah. Life well lived, though. Yes. Yes. So he has a history. Yeah. I remember them uh, <clears throat> when he was adopting those boys. It was in the news, particularly black news, mm-hmm. Ebony and stuff yes. like that that came out. Yeah. Because yeah. these were, you know, because it's always
0: been kind of hard for. Um, black kids to be adopted exactly,
2: yeah, so that's why exactly. it, was time. Yeah. it was big exactly it was
0: big exactly but now yeah. now it seems that you can see more of families yes. adopting black mm-hmm. kids now, yeah, but back then phew, you no. didn't hear that no you didn't
2: Mm-mm. so that's why it People was a didn't big one to adopt right exactly western in peace rest in peace oh, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. That's so nice. what's the latest, Dee? Well, a couple of things. I want to just mention three th- things rather briefly. Number one, I didn't mention this to you, but I do want to say because I don't think we mentioned it last time. We lost a major person in the healthcare community, the CEO of Kaiser. And when you mentioned this young yes. lady's name, Kaiser, it brought me back to Bernard Tyson, who died last week. Yes. A major, major person in S- Kaiser Foundation was the CEO and did so much for building up that organization. From where it was when he started in there mm-hmm. to where it is today, a major healthcare and just sudden death, sudden death, and he was an advocate, sudden death, uh, uh, with health disparities and exactly. all of that. Exactly. Oh my goodness. A major, major person with health disparities, and it just, it just so, it seems like it's just so unfair. I know. that he would. Have sudden death and pass away. And, you know, when that happens to somebody, of course, the first thing that you think of, and I certainly don't know what, what it was, some heart situation, arrhythmia or heart attack mm-hmm. or something, but it's mm-hmm. just very sad. So I just wanted to mention that. Yes. I wanted to mention that. And then the second thing was a nice article. We were talking about E. coli. Mm-hmm. Poor hand hygiene may be the biggest transmitter of the superbug E. coli. And I just gave a lecture on Monday to the doctoral students for physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And all through my slides, I would put a bunch of slides. Up and then I'd say, Wash your hands. And then a bunch of slides up and say, Wash your hands. Mm-hmm. And I said, This article goes on to say that one of the best ways to cut down on antibiotic resistant E. coli would be making sure that everybody washes their hands after using the toilet. Mm. Primarily, and I said in my lecture In 1849, Ignis Simmelweiss figured out That women were dying of purple fever after childbirth Because the OBs were going from mother to mother Without washing their hands They knew this in 1849 Why is it almost 200 years Over 200 years, we still don't get it We still don't get it We Mm -mm. still don't get it Mm -mm. So outbreaks of E. coli, fatal illness A potentially fatal illness Are commonly blamed on uncooked meat and res- vegetables just like we were talking to today. Mm-hmm. They found that most E. coli infections in the UK were caused by a strain often found in the human gut and in sewage, but not seen in the food supply. Mm-hmm. That suggests that the infection is primarily being spread as, as a result of human fecal particles. Mm. Remember what I said about the... Yes. Transmitted from person to person. Mm -hmm. David Livermore, microbiologist at the University of East Anglia, and his colleagues call E. coli a Jekyll and Hyde organism. Mm -hmm. E. coli lives mainly, lives harmlessly in the gut. Like we say, it lives in a symbiotic relationship with the the gut. Mm -hmm. But a handful of nasty strains can cause food poisoning and bloodstream infections. E. coli is the most common cause of bloodstream infections or bacteremia in England. He said in an interview, over the past 15 years, E. coli has, been, has become substantially more resistant to antibiotics and harder to treat. Researchers have known that this superbug mm. circulates in human and food animals like chickens, but it was unclear if the bloodstream infections they cause are picked up from the food chain or passed between people. To find out, the researchers performed genome sequencing on samples collected in 2013 and 2014 from people animals, and sewage in five areas, London, East Anglia, Northwest England, Scotland, and Wales. The samples they compared came from human bloodstream infections, feces, animal slurry, as well as foods like beef, pork, chicken, fruits, and vegetables. DNA sequencing showed that antibiotic-resistant E. coli were often seen in sewage and on retail chicken meat, but rarely on other meats and never on plant-based foods. So in addition, samples of a particular antibiotic strain of E. coli, called ST131, collected from human blood, feces, and sewage, all matched each other. But they didn't match strains in chickens, cattle, and animal slurry. So it tells us the problem in humans is the circulation of human-adapted, resistant E. coli, and not infections coming down the food chain at least in this particular case, said one of the scientists. I would say one caveat was our study relates to the here and now. Resistant E. coli in the future could be food chain related. Mm. Bottom line, though, it's important to practice good food safety practices, but the study demonstrates good hand hygiene to prevent transmission is by far the most important. All nursing right. facilities serve as reservoirs for antibiotic bacteria, and their residents may need help with hygiene while using the toilet or urinary catheters. And I often tell people, just do your own little experiment. Go into the bathroom and go into the stalls and see how many people wash their hands as know, they come out. I know. And then you come out and you wash your hands, but then, but you, then hit you put the your hand on the doorknob. Yes. So these are all things to remember. Mm-hmm. The last article, the CDC, and I'm only mentioning this because this is huge deer season. Big time. Big time deer season. So the CDC sends warning to hunters after deer with tuberculosis found to transmit bacteria to people. The United States Center for Disease, the CDC, shared a warning to hunters after a man in Michigan was found to have developed tuberculosis caused by bacteria transmitted from deer cockers. In a report released this week, the CDC said the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services was notified in 2017 that a 77-year-old man who had tuberculosis caused by Mycobacterium bovis had this disease. The man had no history of travel to countries with endemic tuberculosis, had no known exposure to somebody with TB, and was a regular hunter who field-dressed his deer in the state for 20 years. And field-dressed means when you kill it, You have to do all all the the answers and all that stuff right there in the field. Mm -hmm. The man also lived the northeastern lower peninsula of Michigan, which has a higher occurrence of Mycobacterium bovis positive deer. After testing, the man was found to have been exposed to M. bovis bacteria. The report suggests that the man may have inhaled the bacteria while he was doing that field dressing. Can you imagine? Mm. Yeah. Just let that sink in. That's not really on my bucket list of things to do. No. Okay. Two (laughs) earlier hunting related human infections, but people are into that. They do it. Oh, they People are wait. really into this. Especially around here, too. Around here in Pennsylvania. They cannot wait. Two earlier honey-related human infections with M. bovis were reported in Michigan in 2002 and 2004. In those cases, the patients had signs and symptoms of active TB and required treatment. Bovine tuberculosis typically spreads through infected droplets when someone is sick with TB, coughs, or sneezes. The bacterial infection usually attacks the lungs, but it can go to other parts of the body. It can be transmitted to humans from... Direct contact with a wound, such as what might occur during slaughter or hunting, or by inhaling the bacteria in air exhaled by animals infected with M. uh, bovis. Mm. M. bovis is commonly found in cattle and in bison, ear, and deer. Hunters are encouraged to use protective equipment, while field dressing and the CDC said those in Michigan who submit deer heads that test positive could be at higher risk for infection and advise getting screened for TB, which requires just a skin test. So lastly, in 2018, the Michigan Department of Natural Resources called bovine TB, TB an emerging disease after the 73rd cattle herd was identified with bovine TB in the state since 1998. So it looks like I'll still have a job. You will still have a Somewhere. job. Somewhere. You will still might have Might be a with job. some cows, but <laughs> 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 it'll pay the bills. <laughs> might be with some cattle, but it will pay the bills. It will pay,
0: it will pay the bills, yes. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at vickidofitness.com. To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vickidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Now, today we talk about trauma-informed care, what it means and how this approach will be beneficial to our youth. Research has shown that experiencing trauma affects our physical and emotional health. This emotional trauma is affecting our youth. We have joining us Rodica Cruz, a trainer and consultant from the National Resource Center for Youth Services at the University of Oklahoma, where she helps child and youth care professionals become more trauma informed and trauma responsive in their work with youth. She will give us tips on how we all can help with the healing of our youth. Now let's listen to our interview with Radhika Cruz. Here with us today is Rodica Cruz, a trainer and consultant from the National Resource Center for Youth Services at the University of Oklahoma, where she helps residential child and youth care professionals become more trauma-informed and trauma-responsive in their work with youth who are in residential treatment facilities due to caregiver abuse, neglect, or abandonment. Now, Radhika will discuss with us trauma in our youth and how it affects their mental and physical well-being. But she will also share with us the meaning of trauma-informed care and how it can help in the healing of youth in schools, at home, and in our communities. We can't wait to hear about Radhika's new podcast and her platform, Lead, Love, Thrive. So how are you today, Radhika?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I am so good. I'm so excited to just be a part of the amazing work that you are doing there.
0: Well, we're excited that you are here because you and I go way back and you have been an advocate for youth and their physical and emotional health for many years. So tell us your story and how it has brought you to Oklahoma doing what you are doing now, teaching and training child and youth care professionals.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I never would have chosen this work. It was nothing that I actually planned on doing. But after I graduated from Youngstown State University with my undergraduate degree in psychology, I was just looking for a job, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, 17 years ago began the journey of this work that I'm doing. And I ended up landing a position at Mahoning County public child welfare system, if you will, in Youngstown, Ohio. And I, I spent about 10 years of my career start there, working with children and families, you know, advocating for the safety, permanency, and well-being of children and youth who had experienced or were at risk of experiencing abuse and neglect and abandonment. And so my 10-year career there, I was a child protective worker, so I investigated cases of environmental neglect. Then I became a licensing specialist, so I would do home study assessments for individuals and families who wanted to become foster parents. And then I became an adoption specialist. So children whose parents' rights were terminated and who were available for adoption, I was a child-specific recruiter looking for families to adopt those children who were waiting. And then at the end of my career, about the last two or three years, I became the community educator and where I would organize public awareness events and trainings for the community on how to recognize report and be a support to families who were at risk of child abuse and neglect. And so I also did some training, too. I became a crisis prevention instructor, and I would train residential child and youth care workers on how to de-escalate crisis situations. And that's actually a big part of what I'm still doing today. So it's interesting how 17 years ago, <laughs> that experience prepared me for what I'm actually doing here in Oklahoma, and I'll tell you how I got here. Okay. So 10 years there in Mahoney County. Okay. Then we as a family, my husband was working at the local newspaper, The Vindicator at the time, and we were just really looking for a change in our family. We wanted to spread our wings. We wanted to relocate. And so my husband and I both landed a position at a church in Odinson, Maryland. He served as a graphic designer there, and then I served as a marriage and family life director, and where I would create and oversee programs and services to strengthen couples and families. So we did that for about three and a half years, and then we ended up relocating here to Oklahoma. I have an older brother who lives here. My husband and I both then came on the staff here at a, at a large mega church here in Oklahoma, and I became the children's program director overseeing all of the children's programming and all that jazz, and my husband serves on staff as a videographer and graphic designer. So I did that for about two years here uh-huh. in Oklahoma, and then last year, uh-huh. around September, I just felt a strong need to get back to serving the youth that I just had felt so passionate about. So, again, I'm, I'm serving children and families here in Oklahoma as a children's program director, but every time I would walk through the halls of the church, I just kept feeling this nudging, like I'm, I'm supposed to be back working with that population somehow. Yes. Now, I didn't think I needed to be a caseworker again. Them days was gone, okay? Yeah. I was not trying to get back into casework. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to impact The primary caregivers of these youth because I felt that if I could touch impact resource and equip and educate and strengthen the caregivers which are child and youth care professionals if I can really impact them I can make a greater impact on creating an environment where youth can heal and grow and develop into you know healthy individuals because as a result of their trauma right
0: Right. So
1: I reached out to one of my graduate school professors. So I went to Kent State and graduated with my master's degree in human development and family studies. Hmm. And uh, when I was in the season of transition to the position I'm in right now, I reached out to one of my professors, and his name is Dr. Curry. I said, Dr. Curry, you know people all over the country. You know me. You know what I'm passionate about. I wrote a curriculum to help youth who are emancipating from foster care to strengthen their emotional abilities and so he he was very familiar with my work my passion my experience i'm like and i'm like what do i do where do i go what are some programs or organizations down here in oklahoma that i can be a part of and he recommended the national resource center for youth services which is a branch of the university of oklahoma's outreach arm if you will okay and so he connected me with a colleague of his that he worked with and long story short they had a position that became open on their trauma informed care project and it was a super great fit for me and so that's kind of what I'm doing now just serving as a trainer on that contract not only for the state of Oklahoma but for the nation when we go out and provide trainer certification courses and courses such as managing aggressive behavior or the systematic training to assist
0: in recovery of trauma and, and things like that so
1: that's kind of how I got here to Oklahoma and what I'm doing right now
0: I know. Isn't it something how you start out doing something and you always eventually end up doing what you supposed to be doing in this world? Isn't that great?
2: It is. It's so awesome. It, is. it really is. I'm just, you're broaching on, you know, the subject matter that you're talking about today, trauma. So I'm just sitting here thinking, is there more trauma going on today with youth and adolescents or are we just hearing about it more because of social media and all the things that we're bombarded with from a media standpoint?
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because trauma is not something that's new, right? <laughs> trauma has been something that people, individuals, that the human experience has been encountering, you know, since day one, mm-hmm. if you will. Whether it was fleeing from, you know, a lion trying to take you in indicate cave or whether it's natural disasters today or abuse and neglect in a home environment. You know, trauma is not new, but we are becoming more aware, more informed and educated about trauma and how we're understanding better how that impacts an individual developmentally, how it impacts the brain and how that really changes and rewires the brain and how we function our beliefs our emotions our our physical health and so due to the technology age a lot of more people a lot more people are becoming more open about it because you know what there's a negative stigma about trauma mm-hmm. depending on what you've experienced mm-hmm. a lot of times in our culture it hasn't been received well to say I've been sexually abused mm-hmm. you know and now that we are becoming a culture that is, hey, you becoming more aware of, it's okay to share your story, to, to speak your truth, if you will, and that's some of the languages in the culture. Now that we are starting to normalize that, hey, you're not alone, it's okay to, to reach out, to share your story, because it's also empowering other people to speak up. So we're seeing this whole shift in our culture of, hey, I've experienced this it was not okay. I'm not okay. I'm working through it. And hey, if you're struggling with this, you need to speak
0: up and get the help you need to. So it's nothing new. Mm -hmm. It's just
1: something that we are becoming more aware of and become more open about speaking about.
0: We know, okay, so trauma is not new. It's happening with our youth. But the thing is now and research has shown that it's manifesting itself in emotional and physical ailments, you know, People, especially the kids, they are acting this out, you know, they're acting out and there are signs and symptoms. So what are some of the signs and symptoms that may be the results of someone, our children experiencing trauma?
1: Before I jump to that, I just want to see if it's okay if I can just talk about three different various types of trauma. There's a lot of different types of trauma, but Mm -hmm. there's three major types. And then I can speak to specifically the Mm -hmm. field that I have been in, which is the field of complex trauma. Mm -hmm. So there's these three types of trauma. We have acute trauma, chronic trauma, and complex trauma. Acute trauma is very limited in time. So that can be a serious accident that someone was in, a very violent loss of a loved one. It could be an experience of, of natural disaster, community violence that was witnessed or experienced, or even physical assault, such as being maybe shot or raped. So it's just that's an acute trauma. Chronic trauma is really the experience of multiple events of trauma. And so it could be being exposed to domestic violence as a young person at home. It could be being involved in a serious car accident, experiencing long-term neglect as a youth, experiencing, you know, so, basically, each of these experiences build on the other, which reinforces the negative impact. So, that's chronic trauma. Okay. Complex trauma, and some research calls this developmental trauma, is really what I have been in that world, because I have dealt with children and youth who have experienced complex trauma that has been repeated over a long period of time. Some research, I believe by Karen Curtis, she has a program that she has started called Based or Trust-Based Relationship Intervention, TBRI. And she, I love the way she says this kind of trauma. She says, you know, relationship-based trauma requires relationship-based healing because mm-hmm. complex trauma is really has been at the hands of a caregiver, someone who was responsible for nurturing and caring for a child and has really, um, either through abusive experiences, verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, has really had a negative impact on that child overall well-being and development. So it impacts every developmental domain, emotional functioning, brain functioning, processing, you know, behavioral control, trust, sense of identity, all of those things. When you think about complex trauma, Mm -hmm. that, you know, if we were going to look at, I, I guess it really just depends on, specific use that is in question and the type of trauma. Was it an acute trauma, chronic trauma, complex trauma? Either way, every trauma impacts an individual. But I want to talk a little bit about complex trauma. And so when you think about these negative experiences, you know, trauma, actually, the the Greek word for trauma is wounds. And according to the National Child Traumatic Stress Network, they define child trauma as a frightening, dangerous, or violent event that poses a threat to a child's life or bodily integrity. It is that witnessing of a traumatic event that threatens that life or physical security of a loved one can also be traumatic as well. And so it's important to remember that when it comes to trauma, their sense of safety really depends on that perceived safety of their attachment figures. And so that's kind of the nature of this relationship-based trauma. And as far as the impact and the signs and symptoms, you know, kind of go hand in hand. So, for example, when it comes to the emotional functioning, you're going to see Children and youth who have a hard time empathizing with others, they have an inability to cope with stress and manage and regulate their emotional distress, so anger, frustration, disappointment, they're going to have a hard time processing and managing that, whereas a child who hasn't experienced trauma has learned those skills through their caregiver. Brain functioning has been really negatively impacted, so they have memory issues, their executive functioning skills, such as reasoning, judgment, perspective-taking abilities, planning foresight understanding consequences all of those aspects of our cognitive functioning you know are going to be negatively impacted they have an inability to form healthy attachments because trust has been broken their mm-hmm. their primary caregiver has has proven to them if you will, that people cannot be trusted
0: mm. and so
1: it's hard for them to trust people so you'll see them withdrawing they'll isolate they have a hard time empathizing with others taking on the perspective of others sharing, communicating, expressing their feelings, expressing their thoughts. So all of those things, you know, have been negatively impacted. From a physiological standpoint, you know, looking at biology, if you will, they experience hypersensitivity oftentimes to sounds, to smells, to touch, or they can be insensitive to pain. They may complain of headaches a lot or stomach aches, right? They have, again, the, a poor ability to, to manage their emotions and even express their emotions. You'll find a lot of times they have an inability; their emotional vocabulary is very limited. Angry, sad, mad, and happy. When we know that there are lots of other feelings, but they have a hard time identifying those, describing where they feel them in their body, and they have a hard time understanding how those emotions and feelings are actually influencing their thoughts and their behavior. You'll often find in their behaviors You'll see children and youth who are very aggressive. That could be verbally aggressive or even physically aggressive. You can see them be very destructive toward themselves, those so self-harming behaviors, um, or being destructive to others and, and being violent, um, and even destroying property a lot of times because of those, those feelings and those experiences.
0: So a lot of this then, you know, even though we're in the school setting and I see some of the young folks, because you know, they say, Man, these are some bad mm, mm, mm. kids, right? Mm. And right, you're right, <laughs> right, don't they? But That's what co-
2: people
0: say. Th- yeah, but when we really think about it, those kids are acting out, and, and if we really think about it, we can look and see that they're either angry. Or they're expressing some type of violent behavior, but it's because of how they've been treated or mistreated by maybe, you know, their caregivers.
2: I guess a question that I have, and maybe this is too global, but are there any specific demographics that you can break this down to of, of at-risk populations? Because, you know, we, we say a lot of they, but can we, sure. can we drill down a little bit more on the they?
1: I mean, there are, we do see in the research that there are populations at risk. And before I share, you know, a couple of those populations, I just want to say that none of us are exempt or immune from experiencing a trauma, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's been an acute trauma, a chronic trauma, or complex. So the reality is it doesn't discriminate. Anyone can experience this. But the populations at risk include women and girls, Mm -hmm. individuals with disabilities, or as some of the politically correct language, if you will, is individuals with different abilities, low-income communities, of which I came from one, myself. I'm a woman. (laughs) I came from a low-income community.
2: Mm -hmm. I am a
1: minority, so ethnic and racial minorities, and also the LGBTQ community. They are at a high risk Mm -hmm. of experiencing Mm -hmm. trauma.
0: With that said, then, we know that this is happening, and it has been happening over time. It's very interesting, and it's very good to know that we are becoming proactive, right? And so with you, you are training, you know, the child and youth care professionals to become more trauma informed or responsive, meaning we need to be sitting there looking and saying, okay, this child looks like they have been experiencing trauma. I see that the term is called trauma informed care. So what is that? And how would it be beneficial for um children and youth
1: yeah absolutely and i love this question because it even goes back to that whole mindset what what you just said a little bit ago about these children are bad right right a lot of times when it comes to trauma we see the behavior but we're not seeing the need behind the behavior Mm -hmm. we don't see the root cause of that behavior and it's easy to get caught up in looking at a, a child or youth who's aggressive who's violent who is distracted who has antisocial skills and all these things, and we get caught up on the behavior and we really don't seek to understand the cause of that behavior or the root and the need that's behind that. And so trauma-informed care is really an approach for whether it's a system, a person, or an organization that you really just is understanding and recognizing what trauma is, how it impacts an individual's overall development, their physical health, their worldview. Their sense of self and identity, and their sense of psychological safety and well-being. So it's recognizing that. It is also recognizing potential paths and strategies to help them heal and recover.
0: Okay. It's
1: also recognizing the signs and symptoms of trauma, right? So how can you confront or help something that you don't recognize? Right. <laughs>
0: so right. Trauma-informed
1: care is important. You got to recognize the signs and symptoms of this stuff and ask some questions. Okay. And it, and it also is just really responding therapeutically to others and your interactions and it and for us for a system of care, if you will, if you're looking at schools and governments and service delivery, if you will, it's really looking at your policies and procedures and seeing how can you become, you know, more aware, how can we create more safety and predictability, and so not just physical safety, but that psychological and emotional safety.
2: I like the curriculum, the, your, the, the implementation of your comprehensive trauma-informed approach. You talk a lot about leadership, which mm-hmm. is in most, I- any organization is extremely important because things have yeah. to start from the top down. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: If you're a leader of an organization, you really have to look at your policies, your procedures, every touch point, every interaction. You're talking about a culture, right, of care. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at what are our different what are our values what do we actually really believe about individuals who've experienced trauma you know what do we believe our role is in helping individuals heal and care everything from the time they get admitted to our program to the time or our or our school mm-hmm. you know to um, policies and procedures what are our values that we have how are we going to in our culture what language are we going to use to communicate about this problem, if you will, of, of trauma and how we're going to help come together from a, a collective approach. You know, how are we going to collaborate? Mm-hmm. How are we going to empower our youth or children that we're serving, whoever your your client is, mm-hmm. if you will, how are we going to give them a voice and choice in their treatment plan? You know, how can we see things from their perspective? How can we give them more voice and choice and power over their healing process? And a lot of this is, you know really talking about what does trustworthiness look like because if with this population if trust is such an issue and if relationship-based trauma requires relationship-based healing the approach is relational so we have to show that we you know we're we're safe and predictable there's different behaviors we have to show that we're trustworthy we have to be transparent our actions have to speak louder than our words so every interaction every policy every procedure needs to be looked at how we think about the people that we're serving, mm-hmm. the behaviors and best practices that go into a trauma-informed or trauma-responsive delivery approach. All of those things really need to be considered, and those are higher-level conversations. And then accountability, right? You, can, you uh-huh. can sit here and have values and mission statements on a wall. You can say, this is how we're going to operate. And if your team, your staff are not operating in trauma-sensitive, responsive ways,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and no one's being held accountable for that, that's a problem then you're eroding a trauma-responsive culture. And so we're really talking about creating a culture that's trauma-sensitive, trauma-informed, trauma-responsive, that's therapeutic in every single thing that we do, every interaction that they have with our school, our program, our teachers, our staff. How are we being sensitive to, aware of, and responsive to the needs behind the behaviors that we're seeing?
0: We always ask, what does it look like? So... A child is in the classroom, and I'm a teacher or I'm a professional that, you know, I'm here for that day, and if I'm operating with the trauma-informed approach, and I know that this kid needs help, what happens? What should I do? What's the process? At least give me a quick uh, view of what the process, what would I do, and what would happen to that child?
1: Trauma, again, these symptoms can be, here's what I want to say and be careful about. Okay. Sometimes we can make assumptions and think that something is trauma and it may be something else, okay. right? But at the end of the day, it, I mean, it could be a, a, some kind of physical health issue, mm-hmm. right? It could be a learning disability. It could be diet that's causing a child to act, you know, impulsively. So some of, And some of this is typical development. So, number one, educators really need to be under, you know, they need to be aware of what is typical child development and delayed development and development that has been impacted by trauma. So let me just say that first, So they have to have that knowledge base. So if I'm seeing a, a student or youth in the classroom who is maybe exhibi- exhibiting some behaviors that may look like trauma, I think the first thing we have to recognize is that all behavior, this is what we believe and this is what we teach, at least in my programs that we, that we instruct, is that all behavior is an attempt to meet a need and therefore has meaning. So whatever behavior I'm showing you is an attempt to meet some type of need. Now, we can go back and look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Is it a physical need? Am I hungry? Am I tired? Is it a psychological need? Do I need to feel loved? Do I need to feel like I'm accepted? Do I need to feel like I belong? Is this a self-esteem need? I need to feel good about myself. I need attention, you know? And so we, we really have to look at the need behind the behavior. That is the best advice that I can give teachers. Once they can identify that need, through asking the youth or child, through watching them, having communication with parents, trying to get some context as to their day, not assuming the worst, but hope you know believing the best, but also looking to intervene. Has this child eaten? Are they tired? Is this a learning disability? Is there some type of experience going on in the home that could be traumatizing this young person? And so there, there's some discovery that we need to make because... If we draw conclusions without having all the information, we're going to make the wrong recommendation and have the wrong treatment. So the most important thing that teacher needs to do, I believe, is identify the need behind the behavior and try to meet that need. Because eventually we want students to learn how to meet that need on their own in healthy, productive, and effective ways, but they may not know how to do that yet because of their experiences. And so identify the need behind behavior, help meet that need, and then begin to create a plan where that young person, that student, knows that, that need is going to get met from that individual.
2: You know, one of the things that I'm thinking about as we talk about special populations here, I'm an infectious disease physician with a special interest in HIV in women and women of color, and one of the things that we talk about, I know you mentioned it here in your curriculum about um, trauma leading to you know heart disease sexually transmitted diseases mm-hmm. and so forth what we know is that in women and women of, of color their early trauma to these women lends itself to them engaging in risky sexual behavior yeah. that goes on to to them acquiring hiv through prostitution or through bed you know, bad choices with their partners and so forth. So I'm just thinking that this curriculum would be really good to partner with some of the medical organizations that are out there, particularly like the National Medical Association that I belong to, because HIV and women is a huge thing, particularly HIV and women of color. And identifying, you know, those things early on in these girls with trauma, because my feeling always is a young girl who has a traumatic situation let's say particularly with a male figure a man figure unless this is fixed in the in the beginning she's going to have problems down the line with choices of men with mm-hmm. you understand what i'm saying do do you agree with that to a certain extent making choices is going to be somewhat difficult for her if these things are not identified early on i think
1: absolutely so here's the thing that's so challenging with adolescents, we know from brain research that the prefrontal cortex isn't even fully developed for women Mm -hmm. until they're 25 and for men about 29. Mm
2: -hmm. So they're
1: already at a disadvantage in Mm. their judgment, their reasoning, their morality, and risky behavior because the brain that develops and helps with all that reasoning and judgment hasn't even been fully developed. Then, You add to that traumatic life experiences, which also sets you back developmentally and cognitively Mm -hmm. and rewires Mm -hmm. your brain. Mm -hmm. We're looking at a lot of risk-taking behaviors, Mm -hmm. really, really are. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at if I've been abused, if I've been neglected, if I've been shown what love is, what love isn't, and I can't think and process correctly, you know, then I'm going to engage in things and not think about the consequences, not understand the impact that it's going to have on my health. Because guess what? My need that I have for love, acceptance, belonging, importance, you know, and to feel valued and wanted is greater than any other need. So mm. they're in survival mode. Right. right. They're, You know, and they're meeting this need that they think <laughs> is going to be met through engaging in, in, in high-risk sexual, sexual behaviors. And so what we have to teach our young people is, okay, if we know the need is to feel loved, accepted, to feel a sense of belonging and wanted, and desirability, and value, then we have to begin to ask ourselves as schools, as health you know, providers, how can we help our girls get these needs met right. in healthy, effective ways, right. so that they're not running out and getting this need met in unhealthy ways that actually can have really negative lifelong and having
2: and having children I have a friend who's a pediatric uh, pediatrician who sees this with her women patients and children having babies that you know they have a lot of difficulties trying to take care of but these babies meet an unmet need of love and they haven't been loved so they have something to love like a little doll but this is a child you know so yeah yeah, that's, it's that's almost real. like a
1: codependency. Yes. Right? I need you to feel like I'm needed in love and you need me to feel like you're loved. You know, right. it's yes.
0: so it, it does run pretty. deep. Mm-hmm. That runs deep. The whole trauma and how it affects over a lifetime. Right. It affects yeah. over a lifetime for teachers and leaders and and those folks that need to know where to go to find programs like you are doing. Where would you tell them to go? How can they look it up? Like here in Ohio.
1: There are a couple different resources online that you can check out. Um, There's a trauma-sensitive school conference that is going to be held in in Georgia in 2020. So they are really about educating and and equipping schools on how to be trauma-sensitive. So, you know, there's an actual workshop training conference, if you will, that you can go to. There is traumaawarenessschools.org. They even talk about psychological first aid. So how can we become more trauma-aware in our schools and operate from a place of psychological first aid. And so that's another resource. Of course, the National Child Traumatic Stress Network is another organization where they have tons and tons of information and research on what trauma is, impact on health, the impact on the brain development, the, I mean, on every aspect, and provide you with a lot of different resources in, across the country and across each state, you know, that you can tap into. And, of course, where I work is the National Resource Center for Youth Services. Yes. Which is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we are a professional development training organization that serves any organization, private, public, residential, whatever. If you are serving and touching the lives of, we are there to help provide you with training and education and resources to help you better serve youth and promote positive uh, youth
2: development. Is that how we can find you if we want you to come speak to one of our organizations?
1: Absolutely. You can go to, we have a new website. It just Mm. launched this year. It's nrcys.ou.edu. You can see all the different programs that we offer. Again, I'm under the trauma contract and we provide the specific trauma-informed trainings to anyone who would like us to come. Great. And so we do that
0: as well. You are a new fellow. That's what I should say. A new fellow podcaster. Is that how you say it? Podcaster. You just started that um, platform and program, right, for your podcast.
1: Yeah, so my podcast is is Lead Love Thrive, and I started that in about May, so just maybe six months ago. Okay. And the whole inspiration behind that is I felt that I needed to be or give what I needed when I was younger. Mm -hmm. As a marginalized youth growing up on welfare and a housing project, I really didn't see any possibilities for myself. I didn't have anyone teaching me about how to have a vision for my life, how to understand my purpose. I didn't have anyone sharing with me my strengths, how to lead my life, my thoughts, my actions, and my emotions in healthy ways, right? How to lead my relationships in positive ways. So I didn't have a lot of that growing up. And so through my educational experience, And, you know, as I learned and as I grew and now in my 40s now and having my own marriage of 23 years and being a parent of a 21-year-old and a 10-year-old. So I really wanted to just give back and serve others, you know, and primarily it's women, but men do listen as well. And really just teach them Mm because the Please Love Thrive is very strategic. It's about leading your thoughts, Mm -hmm. your emotions your actions and your decisions Mm -hmm. in ways that are going to promote not only my well-being, but the well-being of everyone around me. And it's about loving myself, loving God and others wholeheartedly and on purpose, and then making those daily decisions every day on how I can better myself and thrive in life, thrive emotionally, spiritually, relationally, professionally. And so I really wanted to just have these conversations to help motivate, encourage, equip others with the resources and tools that I've learned and that I've gained over my 43 years of life
2: Uh on
1: what has helped me become my best self and continue to evolve into my best self. So that's kind of the story behind that. I'm excited. We got new gear that we're, you know, kind of amping up and and sharing Mm -hmm. to really create this message that it really, before you can lead other people, before you can lead organizations, you have to lead yourself first.
0: Yes. Get right.
1: well, get strong, get healthy mm-hmm. yourself, and then reach back and help others do the same. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, and so we are proud of you, and we definitely—I've been listening and following you. So we're gonna spread the word out there because we we love podcasts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in closing, though, we're so glad that you have come and you've talked with us. And so, in closing, what can All of us do as health fitness professionals, physicians, school teachers, and communities. What can we do to support and help with the healing of our traumatized youth?
1: Absolutely. I would say, you know, maybe two or three things. You know, be aware. We have to notice. We have to open our eyes to those signs and symptoms of those that are hurting around us. You know, there's a quote by Dr. Seuss that I love. And he says, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Yeah. and so we we have to be aware and we have to care and then that care has to lead us to action we have to be responsive we not only on an individual level but a systems level we have to be a voice for those who can't or will not speak up for themselves we have to advocate in policy and i think there's some practical things is just educating individuals on what it means to have healthy relationships if i'm with a parent it's really how can i promote parent-child attachment you know and teach positive parenting practices how can i help educate individuals on how to promote child development how can i create environments and opportunities for social connection so that people don't feel socially isolated Mm. you know it is about providing individuals and families with the concrete supports that they need to meet their family's basic needs you know and it, it really just comes down to if you see something say something recognize a sign ask for what the family or individual needs you know and provide that support wrap around them not in judgment or criticism, but in care, in empathy, in compassion, support, and empowerment. I mean, those are just some practical things that we can do.
0: Oh, wow. And so that is very important. And we are so happy that you came and took time out of your schedule to talk about. Yeah, it was great. The trauma-informed care so that all of us can understand. And so once again, how can folks get in touch with you to get subscribed to your podcast first? So so how where? How?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the best place to reach me is on my website at radicacruz.com, R-A-Z as in Dan, H-I-K-A, cruise.com. That is where all of my stuff is. But if you want to subscribe, you can go on anywhere that you listen to podcasts. It can be iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. I'm on all of those. You just type in Lead Love Thrive or my name, and the podcast will show up. So you can do that. And uh, if you want to subscribe on my website, there's a little subscribe button. If you want to get my weekly emails of motivation and encouragement, you can do that as well. You can see the merchandise that we have to get this message out about leaving ourselves strong, loving ourselves and others on purpose and making daily decisions to thrive. So all of our merch, we're getting new stuff. As you know, your boy, John Cruz. Yes. Does
0: Mm -hmm. all of your
1: stuff. Look, I'm going
0: to have to borrow him (laughs) from your stuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He is working on some, you know, new T-shirt designs and just getting that positive message out that, you know what, we can lead our lives stronger. And it, it takes us making those daily decisions. We don't have to stay stuck. We don't have to stay in discouragement or despair. We, we can reach out and, and develop ourselves and become a better version of ourselves each and every day by making those daily decisions. So it's oh, been an honor to be with yes. you, Dr. Vickie
0: Yes, um, girlfriend. and and, thank and you
1: for, the, for the opportunity to just share and just a word out about, you know, how we can become more trauma-informed and trauma-responsive. So that, because you know what? These aren't just somebody else's youth and children. They are our children and our youth. They are our future leaders our future teachers, our future parents. And so we have to take responsibility for creating the world uh, that we want, you know, for our future. So it's an honor to be on here and to share.
2: Thank you very much.
0: hmm. Thank you. And thank you. Now, this ends our show, Dee, so do you have some tips that we should think about?
2: This was a great talk today by Rodica Cruz. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think some of the take-home messages that she left us with were on on individuals that are affected by trauma. Be aware. Mm -hmm. Care. Yes. Be proactive and advocate for these individuals. And understand what it means to have a healthy relationship with someone else. Mm -hmm. Help provide resources and support these individuals. And if you see something, say something. Be compassionate and also help give these individuals and make them, empower them to talk about their uh, traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just thought it was great.
0: I thought it was great as well. And I also, you know, when we... Think about how we are evolving as a community. It's so great that we are making it okay. To talk about things, you know, to talk about trauma, to talk about domestic violence,
2: all of these things. Rape of women. And, you know, this is all big with that Hollywood thing. It goes back to that whole Hollywood thing, you know, the Harvey Weinstein thing and how all of this has emerged over the last few years Mm -hmm. with women being empowered to come and tell their stories of being traumatized, however it was. And it's so
0: interesting how, yes, we do have some communities that are at risk but all of us all of us can suffer from trauma exactly and you know a lot of times we think oh we're okay we're okay but we don't realize that some of our behaviors exactly. is a manifestation
2: of, of exactly some trauma that happened exactly in our childhood exactly
0: i am so glad that we are becoming proactive and we're teaching folks how to do the trauma-informed care absolutely Yes. so thank you, Radhika Cruz. Yes, thank you, Radhika Cruz. It was fantastic. (laughs) Great. It was fantastic. To learn more about and to hear from Radhika Cruz, subscribe to her podcast show, Lead, Love, Thrive. And as always, for more information, go to our website, www.vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us. Email us. Go on Facebook and share with us your thoughts.
1: You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at VickiDoeFitness.com.